Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, November 26th. It's Men's Mental Health Month, and we continue our coverage with the very personal story of our former colleague, Gore Gillies. Gore joins us to share his journey through grief following the death of his son, Liam, due to alcoholism and mental health issues. Next, we take a look at the interruption of the school year for students in grades 7 to 12 with the return to online learning under the new provincial COVID-19 guidelines. We get reaction from Support Our Students Alberta. Then we hear the story of a 29-year-old B.C. man who battled the coronavirus and suffered blood clots in his lungs as a complication. We get clarification from a physician who specializes in treating blood clots on just how common this side effect is among patients who contract COVID-19. And finally, Christmas is not cancelled. That's the message a Calgary ER nurse wants children to hear in her new book, Hector and the Virus Vector. We meet author Lisa Rutherford. 609 now. You watched him on TV for years. You listened to him here on 770. But Gord Gillies says a story that most didn't know about. You might have seen Gord's story this week as part of the global news series Strong But Not Silent, raising awareness for men's mental health. And he joins us now. Good morning, my friend. Sue, uh, good to talk to you. And hello and good morning, Andy. Thank you for joining us, Gord. I know it's it's so hard. I, I just, I can't even imagine our hearts go out to you. And we did hear from a lot of people who watched your portion of the series on Tuesday. But if folks missed it, Gord, can you tell us a little bit about your son, Liam? Sure. And and first, let me say and thank the people who have uh, who reached out and touched our family with kindness and support. Uh, people from all over the country, Sue, Um they just expressed uh, uh, support for us and love and telling us we're not alone. And, and some have shared their stories of struggle. And, uh, you know, it's just been wonderful, the, the kindness we've received. Um, you know, Liam struggled with anxiety and some depression, and, and he medicated that by drinking. And this was about a 10-year struggle for Lee. Um, happy-go-lucky, funny, mischievous kid that got into high school. He was still super popular and funny, but the drinking thing where it begins often in high school just took on a, a tone of, um, of, of frightening for Candy and I because it just didn't seem like this was a kid going through the teen years trying this and trying that. And sure enough, it was a big struggle. And we learned quickly that uh, he was struggling mentally and, and uh and feeling bad about himself, and and it began a, a journey that uh, really took us all everywhere. Um, we 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 tried with Liam to understand first of all what was going on with him. Um, he got counseling. We had great counseling along the way to help us help Liam to help Liam help Liam. Um, there's a program at the Foothills Dual Diagnosis, and they look at whether is this mental health causing the drinking? Is this drinking causing the mental health? We learned a lot there. We went through ADAC. I mean, we tried everything we could to try and understand, and Liam tried everything he could to try and get past it. And, uh, and sadly, uh, the 10-year battle came to an end just at the beginning of COVID. Liam um, was, he, he had done so well about a year ago right now with a place called 1835 House, which is long-term treatment, and he'd done great in rehab, and he came out and he felt so good, and then slipped and felt ashamed again and started to feel bad again that he was late, letting himself down or letting us down, and it began a, a spiral that uh, increased his drinking, and sadly, uh, he had one drink too many in March, and he passed away. Gord, you know, outside looking in, the series called Strong But Not Silent, I look at you as one of the most solid guys that I know. And I had 
no idea what uh, you know Liam was going through. And, and if you can talk about this, when when you're dealing with something like Liam was dealing with, and you have a, a tight knit family, everybody in the family is involved, aren't they? Oh yeah, I mean this was a family thing with Laura too, our daughter, and and friends. We were blessed with great friends who supported. I, I think a core, of a few people knew. And, and maybe this is part of the problem, you guys, in that we we weren't going to be throwing this out and sharing it. And, and Liam was so private about it. He he didn't have this. Many of his friends had no idea. They knew there was some issues here, maybe. They had no idea the struggle. And so we dealt with it in-house, if you will, as best we could. And, uh, and you know, and, and it wasn't anything he wanted to share and certainly we weren't going to we were just trying to do whatever we could to support him but yeah it was a it was a a family effort for sure Andy. So Gordon you know now you are months later how important has it been to be strong but not silent to reach out and try and get that help and and just help get some understanding for for not just you but for the whole family. Well, we had gone through counseling to try and understand what was going on with Liam and, and then help ourselves and help him. And so we had already gained much, a lot of benefits from that, Sue. So when he finally passed, I mean, it's been described to me as your brain goes offline. There's such a shock. And, and, and it was at the start of COVID. I don't even remember wave one of COVID, you guys. We were just upside down. And, and so we got into a, we, we talked to a counselor, first of all, from a, a recommendation of a friend who helped us just settle our brains. And then we got into the AHS as an unbelievable grief program. And they just, they understand what you're going through. And you don't, we, we were upside down. And they just help you understand how you're feeling, um, what's normal, what to watch for, what might happen. And, and they just helped settle us and then gave us some hope. For, for so many months, we thought we weren't making any progress. And then we would get some counseling to point out, you know what, we are making. It might be an inch this month. It might be we've made one step forward, but it was a step forward. And so that counseling, you guys, just helped us immensely understand as best we could what the heck was going on and hang in there because this is normal. It's time to get past that stigma, I would think, for men, because as men, you know, you go to the doctor every two or three years only upon urging from your wife. It, it would take a broken arm for a man to go to the doctor we still, and unfortunately, still have that stigma that, you know, I'm going to go talk to somebody about my mental health. I think it's breaking down. Do you see that from the, from the men that you talk to, Gord, that people are, men are starting to say, okay, I, I have to get myself checked out? I think we have a long way to go. I think it is getting better. I think we're talking about mental illness or addictions or how we're feeling more. Um, I think Jamie's story, she had a latest uh, study on how, you know, 30% of the, the people who access counseling are men. So, you know, there's room to grow there for sure. I, I think it's getting better, but I, I also know that uh, there's still, I mean, and I'm 59, I'm of the era of stiff upper lip and you don't cry and all that. And, and that didn't help me. Um, helping me, <laughs> believe me, it was sobbing in front of big burly friends and, and getting it out and, and, and helping and, and moving forward. And so um, I hope it's changing, Andy, but I think, uh, you know, having discussions like this will hopefully uh, get it out there even more and, and break down the stigma. We don't know what could have helped Liam any more than what we tried, but if he hadn't felt so ashamed about what he was going through, um, maybe that would have helped him reach out and get more help himself. So I think it's a huge, broad picture, uh, and, and it's just something we need to talk about.
Keep talking for sure. You know, I, I, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised to know that uh, Alberta Health Services Grief Support Program, only 30% of their clients are yeah. men. And yeah. I, I went yeah. through that program too, Gord, when my brother died just a couple of years ago and, and there was one guy in our sibling grief group. So, yeah. you know, I, I, mean, I, I, I get it. I, I get it. Um, and, and it just needs to change. If you want help, I mean, one of the things we've learned with counseling is that if you get stuck, if you get stuck and you're not moving forward, that creates even bigger problems. And often guys or others as well turtle they go inward they they get stuck and then you don't get better and uh you know it it's it's it's, these people know what they're doing they've heard it before Mm -hmm. they can help you guide you and and give you some hope gord we super appreciate you sharing your very personal story with us that we know it can't be easy so thank you so much for taking the time you know, Andy, I've heard from a ton of people. Um, one of the people who emailed me is an AHS nurse here in town, and they're getting so many calls at 811 because of COVID for whatever reason. Um, you know, if, if you're struggling right now because of COVID and, and, and the, the wacky world we're in, if you're struggling from grief, if you're whatever it is, male or female, whatever, um, you know, there's help out there, and, and I just can't say enough about uh, how you can benefit by asking for it. Big love to you and Candy and Laura Gord. Thanks for joining us. Back at you. Thanks so much. That is Gord Gillies. 7.09 now, and changes have been made to the end of the school year as COVID-19 cases continue to rise across the province. With reaction to the decision to go back to online learning, we're joined this morning by Medina Musa, Executive Director of Support Our Students Alberta. Good morning, Medina. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we know any kids from grades 7 to 12, they're going to move to at-home learning as of November 30th, so ending the in-person classes early. Thoughts on that? Does it seem like that was the smart measure to do to try and give the kids a little extra time at home prior to the actual day of Christmas and, and maybe being you know around family and friends then? Well, you know, I don't think this was a benevolent decision. I think this was a decision that was forced on the government because um, the system was, the school system was literally starting to collapse. We'd already seen a lot of classes having to transition to online learning because of lack of uh, class of of teacher staffing mm-hmm. due to mass isolation. So, um, this was, I think, probably needed for for principals and for teachers, they've been carrying a huge amount of the workload trying to keep students safe, but we have seen lots of outbreaks in schools. And um, really, I think it shows that students are being, are not, haven't been prioritized and schools haven't been prioritized. So it's, it's a result of bad planning for back to school in September. Medina, you know, the parameters and restrictions of surrounding those kids in grades 7 to 12 keeping the kids uh, up till grade six still in class. What is the uh, SOS stance on that, having the younger uh, set still stay in class? Well, you know, I I think it's... um, SOS believes that the best place for kids to learn is definitely in the classroom, right? And um, right now, with this health crisis upon us, we've advocated for smaller class sizes, for infrastructure of schools and maintenance to be prioritized, such as ventilation systems. And the government has failed to do that. The um, K-6 to crew that is still in class learning, I think it's important for their learning. They do have smaller class sizes than 7 to 12. Um, and I think that's where everyone wants to see them in school. But in order to keep them in school, we have to increase 
resources and funding to our schools. Mm. Have you heard from parents on this issue? Because I know we've seen lots of texts just since the announcement came down this week saying, you know, the kids are are dealing with mental health issues being sent back home again. And and a lot of them don't really learn well that way. So, you know, have you you been hearing and, and getting that perspective as well? Oh, absolutely. Parents are really concerned about the disruption to children's education, their um, socialization, their mental well-being, of course, and they're quite disillusioned that this government has prioritized casinos over schools, right? We're in a position now where schools are being shut down before casinos. And I I, I sense that um, the government is actually out of touch with what Alberta families would like to see the priorities from this government be. Medina, they also uh, put on the uh, you know list that diploma exams are optional for the rest of the school year. What kind of an impact would it have on those students uh, who were scheduled to write these diploma exams to have that as just an option? Do you, do you folks find that a concern? Um, well, we've, we've been advocating for um, diploma exams to be canceled this year. I think actually leaving it as an option puts a lot of additional anxiety on students that downloads the decision again um, off of government and to students. So I think the better option would have been just been to cancel diploma exams and all standardized tests across the board in Alberta this year. This is a non-standard year. The education minister needs to acknowledge that this is a non-standard year. And why would we be testing under these circumstances? Are we sure these kids who are graduating from grade 12 are, are, are leaving school with the same learning level that they would have had had COVID not happened? Uh, absolutely not. I think um, we can't underestimate the anxiety of living in um, this pandemic world, right? Education was disrupted last March to emergency online learning. So we know that that um, was a fast pivot, not a planned um, execution of of curriculum. So um, definitely students have been under a lot more pressure to learn on their own without the expertise and guidance of teachers that they would normally have in a normal setting. You know, everyone's done their best, um, but definitely there has been impacts. What about extending the winter break to January 11th, pushing it one week back from January 4th? Do you think that is any cause for concern? Oh, well, it's actually, they're, they're, they're not necessarily pushing the break, but um, instead asking Extending the all, learning, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, transitioning for one week um, after break to learn online. And um, no, I mean, I, I, I think the, the one week is fine. I think what would have been better is if they could have collaborated with um, school boards and schools in advance of this announcement. I know um, to do to quick transition is a lot of work and difficult, and I think it would have been beneficial to actually collaborate with school boards on this decision. Medina, I just wanted to circle back. We talked earlier about the ventilation systems within the schools. I, I No doubt uh, the dollar figure would be huge for that. Has there been any further talk on that uh, being an option, help from the province perhaps to make this happen? No. Um, what I've heard from the province is, is that despite moving to online, they've decided to not further cut education. Um, the minister um, made those remarks just recently. And, you know, 
of what we're looking for is additional funding. So there's been some long-term deficiencies in our school system. There's been persistent underfunding. Class sizes have continued to grow. And it's really put our schools in a vulnerable situation here with this crisis. And so we need long-term solutions. And um, we would like to see a full analysis of the infrastructure of our schools to keep our children safe. Medina, thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. That is Medina Musa, Support Our Students, Executive Director. You can find more info online at supportourstudents.ca. Very interesting time, Sue, and I think it does. You know, it underscores to me that it's a challenging time for literally everybody in the province. No question. Mm -hmm. Very challenging for students and for educators um, still having many questions and working in an environment they never probably would have dreamed in a million years they'd be working in. But I think it does put the onus yeah, on parents to a certain extent. But the kids have to be resourceful. They have to ask those questions. It is different. Uh, it's not the traditional setting. Absolutely. Maybe relying on one another. Ideal it is not. But it, this plan... I, I think it's the best plan for this time myself. You know, and, and as in everything, you're not going to please everyone. No. Right? A lot of kids did really well learning from home and a lot of kids really didn't. And it was just not good for them at all. So uh, it's it's a tough one. But I think the right decision to pull kids out of school a week early and send them back a week later, doing that online schooling, but giving those those weeks of time before mm-hmm. before and after people are going to be gathering at Christmas time. Anything we can do to, to help flatten the curve for mm-hmm. sure. 811 on the morning news. When we think of the COVID-19 virus, we don't realize the other health complications that can follow. With more on the link between the coronavirus and blood clots, we are joined by a recovered patient, Jordan Hoey, and the physician who treated him, Dr. Anna Romani. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Jordan, we'll start with you. And uh, if you can chronicle your your battle with COVID-19, you're on the other side now, I assume, completely. We'll we'll break that down. Uh, But also, when you found out that you had blood clots associated with the virus. Oh, yeah, sure thing. So it uh, all started back at the end of May. I was diagnosed positive. My uh, partner brought it home from an outbreak in her workplace, unfortunately. And then... um, a couple of days went by where I wasn't feeling so great. I was pretty tired, a little achy. Around the third day after my positive test, I had about uh, a 10-day stretch of quite high fevers, feeling really, really bad. Then once the fevers ended, I had about a day or so where I started to actually feel like myself and feel better. Then about the third day after the fevers ended, I coughed a little bit of blood in the morning, which led to a little bit more blood in the afternoon, and then we knew it was time to get to the hospital. Actually, on the on the way out of the door, I was we were wearing our masks, and I, I coughed, and uh, it it got all over the inside of the mask. It was quite scary, so we went to the emergency room at that point. Jordan, I mean, you're a 29 year old guy, fit and healthy, no doubt. That would have been very scary. So you get to the hospital, and do they realize right away what might be happening? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was treated quite quickly, and. Uh, they did a CT scan and found out I did indeed have uh, pulmonary embolisms. And then I was sent over to see uh, Dr. Romani at the thrombosis clinic, and they held me out big time. Dr. Romani, this uh, was news to me when I read this information about blood clots. How common are blood clots as a, as a side effect or a complication for COVID? So it's becoming more clear as we get more information about COVID-19 infections that Amongst the hospitalized patients with COVID-19, we are seeing a number of um, 
uh, freak, uh, uh, complications, and one of those complications is actually blood clots. Um, we were aware of the um, complication of blood clots with hospitalized patients, but uh, we started to now see uh, this complication showing up with patients who are ambulatory. So they're feeling well enough that we're treating them at home, but um, they're now presenting with blood clots from home. The number of um, patients who are experiencing blood clots who are hospitalized is estimated somewhere between 16 to 40 percent. This is the patients that are in the ICU. So um, that's a quite a high number. We don't yet have the numbers for patients who are ambulatory. We're working ha- very hard on that. The Global Research Committee is actually working very hard together to keep track of the numbers so that we'll be able to figure out what percentage of patients at home might be at risk. Doctor, blood clots can be deadly. Was Jordan lucky or is this typical of what you're seeing right now with COVID patients and the type of clots they're getting? We are definitely seeing um, both types of blood clots, so deep vein thrombosis, which is blood clots in the leg, as well as pulmonary embolism, which is blood clots in the lungs. Um, as I said, the percentage of these clots are much higher in patients that are hospitalized, but we're definitely seeing numbers in the outpatient setting in, uh, in, in both pulmonary embolism and deep vein thrombosis. Um, I'm really happy that Jordan came in, and I think this is the reason that we would really would like to raise awareness, because... Um, we are getting a lot of information about COVID-19, but this particular complication of it could be deadly. So untreated pulmonary embolism and unrecognized pulmonary embolism can be fatal. So it is really important for the public to be aware of the signs and symptoms of, um, of uh, PE and even DVT because um, clots in DVT can dislodge and become pulmonary embolism. Jordan, I'm wondering, you went through this and you had the complications actually of, of blood clots, but, but but you're still with us, thank goodness. I'm wondering what what you think when you read perhaps online or read an article or maybe even you hear from friends or friends of friends who say that COVID-19 is a hoax. What goes through your mind when you hear something like that? It's very frustrating. I think that's why I'm here because I want to raise awareness for the complications that come alongside with COVID. It's not just the flu, is it? No, definitely not. It is uh, much worse. Definitely. Um, Tell you what, I, I I wonder if we can continue this conversation. Can we hold you folks on uh, for another a couple of minutes? Sure, sure. We're just going to take a quick commercial break and more with Dr. Anna Romani and, of course, Jordan Hoey, who a uh, COVID-19 survivor who had the complications of blood clots. That's coming up after this commercial break. 818, we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Anna Romani, co-director of the Thrombosis Clinic at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. And Jordan Hoey is a 29-year-old who recovered from COVID-19 after developing blood clots in his lungs as a complication. Doctor, I want to just go back to you because we talked about, um, or you mentioned other signs and symptoms. You know, Jordan obviously was presenting with coughing up a lot of blood. What are some of the things that we need to think about or be aware of before it gets even to that point. So even before COVID-19, one out of four people died from complication of blood clots. So this is not going to be something that once COVID is gone, it will disappear. I think the public awareness of recognizing um, blood clots or thrombosis will forever be there. So it's very important for the public to be aware. Signs and symptoms of a blood clot in the leg um, include increased pain, swelling, redness, Half tenderness, some people describe as if they have a charley horse that just doesn't go away. Um, signs and symptoms of a blood clot in the lung include um, feeling uh, that you're very short of breath, doing something that never makes you short of breath, um, having a cough or a bloody cough, chest pain, 
often described as if somebody's stabbing you with a knife, and uh, palpitations or heart racing, as well as lightheadedness, and sometimes in severe cases, people can actually faint. So those are symptoms of pulmonary embolism. Got a question in on the text line uh, from a gentleman uh, named Mike, doctor. Maybe you can answer this. So if uh, I'm suspecting I have COVID, should I start with that one aspirin, that routine that we've heard, maybe the baby aspirin daily? Actually, that is not indicated. What we recommend uh, if you're in at home recovering from COVID is to stay hydrated, really stay mobile, and continue to take your medications as you did before. If you have a history of blood clots, then inform your medical team that you've had a blood clot before, and they'll be able to recommend what would be the appropriate prevention for you. So you might actually qualify to receive prophylaxis or prevention medication. If you've had a blood clot and you're on a blood thinner, then you should definitely continue with your blood thinner throughout your COVID infection. Jordan, last question for you. Obviously, you were very sick, not just with the COVID itself, but the complications thereof. Have there been other things? Because we've certainly heard that there are a lot of complications that come later after you uh, you know, almost recover from the COVID virus itself, but the things that happen to your body afterwards. Can you talk to us a little bit about that so that people understand this is very serious? Yeah, uh, it's been about six months now since May. I'm still feeling quite fatigued. I'm definitely not back to 100% yet. I am feeling better, but it's a long road, and I don't really know when the end is. I think it's important we do a lot of the scientists do a lot of research. There's a lot, still a lot left to learn. Jordan, thanks for your time, and uh, Dr. Romani, thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you. You. That was Jordan Hoey, a 29-year-old uh, recovered COVID-19 patient who developed blood clots in his lungs as a complication of COVID-19. And Dr. Anna Ramani, co-director of the Thrombosis Clinic at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. Oh, I just got to let that song breathe a bit. Everybody loves that song, and I'm not a huge, huge fan of Christmas music, but tis the season for sure. Yeah, we've been saying that Christmas isn't cancelled in a year where birthdays, gatherings, and even school classes have been postponed. One Calgary ER nurse is hoping to really hammer home for children that this season is going on as planned. Lisa Rutherford joins us with details on her book, Hector and the Virus Vector. What a great title. Good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning. (laughs) You know, it's fine to just tell the kids, but you decided to take things to the next level. When did you come up with the idea for this book? Um, I did. I actually, I came up for the idea this summer. I have a three-year-old daughter and with everything being canceled and she, oh, she's so funny. She would start freaking out when people would come near on the sidewalk and everything was just so different for her looking ahead. And I'm like, come Christmas time, we're going to have to have an answer for this child. <laughs> and so you created Hector. Is is he kind of based loosely on you or just your, your, <laughs> per, your profession? Um, he's not. <laughs> So I, I'm a nurse, and I have a degree in um, a Bachelor of Molecular Biology. And so he's kind of loosely based on some of the science that I did in that degree. Um, but he has pink hair, and the pink hair was my husband's idea. <laughs> I think it's pretty great. Kids love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> let's do molecular biology. You're a nurse by trade, so let's talk about the process of getting a book together. Uh, how was that battle? Um, a lot more challenging than I thought it would be. <laughs> so I have um, no background in illustration, and I decided I was going to illustrate this entire thing myself. 
So that was a pretty steep learning curve. Um, but luckily, I have a brother. Um, he's an architect, and so he's used to using all these fancy computer programs. And so he kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. <laughs> so Lisa, in all seriousness, though, this obviously your daughter was a little concerned about Christmas. I'm sure there are a lot of kids out there kind of, you know, not knowing what to expect. Is Santa going to come see us? What's happening? So without, we don't want you to give away the whole plot, but what does is, what is Hector do through this story to save Christmas? Yeah, so um, the premise of the story is that it kind of starts with Santa deciding he needs to cancel Christmas because he doesn't know how to keep the children safe. And then he goes back to the workshop and makes an announcement that Christmas is canceled. And Hector is the scientist elf, and he stands up, and he's like, no way, I'm going to find a solution. And so he comes up with these experiments, and they're on Santa Claus. So the experiments are based on like real scientific processes but then the solutions are very fantastical and kind of funny and fun for the children so there things happen to santa that i mean obviously wouldn't actually happen if you did that specific experiment so it's fun my daughter enjoys it (laughs) well and that's the key right and you've got a built-in audience at home let's talk about you know it's no easy task to write a book but you're also the illustrator is that right I am, yeah. Okay, so you must have some kind of an art background. You are artsy. How, how, <laughs> t- tell us about your art skills going into this and uh, describe and paint a picture for us as to what the pictures look like. Okay, so going into this, um, I don't have any like official formal training. I took art all the way through high school, and then I've kind of like drawn and painted in my off time, but I'm also a quilter, so I've done a lot of design process um, through quilting. So still like active in art, but using a computer illustration process is completely new to me. Um, I wanted the images to be bright and fun. So I, I thought, like, what do I enjoy looking at when I read children's books? Um, so I just basically, like, looked at, you know, tons of books from the library. And I'm like, what can I do to make this look nice? So I, I did... Um, the, all the illustrations are hand-drawn, like all the characters are hand-drawn, and then I would scan them into the computer, and then they're all colored digitally. So it's uh, it's been a process for sure, like learning how to do that digital art. Um, but you can definitely like check out some of the illustrations. I have them posted on my Instagram account, um, which is Rainbow Ink Designs. And then I also have some on my website, which is www.rainbowinkdesigns.com. Lisa, they're way better than my stick people, let me tell you that. But uh, I wanted to give you a chance to mention that uh, you're you're doing something for charity uh, along with creating a great little book for kids this holiday season. I am. So I'm donating 50% of the profits to the Alberta Children's Hospital. I'm doing it for two reasons. Um, the main one, last Christmas, my son was in the hospital for uh, 10 days. And he was like three, four months. So it was a pretty like traumatic experience for me, but the staff were just so amazing. And so I wanted to find a way to give back to them. So that's something that I'm doing. And then also I'm finding this story is reaching um, children that are affected health-wise. I actually, a neighbor, like a couple blocks down that I haven't met, um, reached out to me and her daughter, Charlotte, has a heart defect. And so her daughter has been super concerned about Christmas being canceled and Santa Claus not coming. And so she was very excited that I was doing this book. Uh, so I requested photos of her daughter and I 
sketched her into a couple of scenes. Awesome. And so that's another reason why I want to donate to the Children's Hospital. That is very cool. Before we let you go, what are, what are the uh, age ranges of kids that you've geared the book toward? I like to say three to seven. Some of the language, like I've tried to use a lot of scientific terms in the book, um, mainly to introduce kids to a little bit more complex scientific language. Um, and also as an adult, it's nice reading a book that's a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to say three to seven for the age, age range. But, you know, young at heart, anybody can enjoy it. Exactly. <laughs> Christmas spirit, right? I, I love everything about it. And especially the fact that you're giving uh, some of the money back to charity and, and helping out that way. Thank you for what you do. Even on the front lines, uh, you're an ER nurse. And boy, we need you right now. Thank you for all you're doing out there. No problem. That Thanks is, for Thank you. That is Lisa Rutherford. She's a Calgary ER nurse and created this Christmas book. It's called Hector and the Virus Vector. And to order the book, you go online, rainbowinkdesigns.com. I just want to say, you know, if you talk to Lisa, ER nurse, now author and illustrator, by the way. I know. Multi-talented. Molecular biology. That's her other background. Smart so, and artsy. Those are not supposed to be a combination. That's when, typical. When you say this, uh, <laughs> this makes me think about some of the texts that we received earlier. When you read the story about the 30% of Canadians, I believe, who said that they've had weight gain during the pandemic. How do you choose to use this time? Because it's a bizarre time. You might have more time on right? your hands. You might be busier. Who knows? But this is time that... She thought early on the pandemic that I can make a difference in children's lives. Other people saying, you know, I've lost 10 or 15 pounds during this pandemic. You know, we all have the same amount of hours in the day. In the case of Lisa as a mom, ER nurse. Wow. And uh, now author, uh, she really made it click. So, yeah, as you mentioned, RainbowInkDesigns.com for Hector and the Virus Vector.